Good morning. You're here for another episode of Zick and Wick. We are going to be talking about The Mandalorian, Chapter 20, episode called The Foundling, directed by Carl Weathers, written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. I, I'm going to... Okay, I am going to do my best not to be negative about this episode, just because I, I it's a little unfair, because we had extreme high hopes after last week, knowing who was who wrote this episode. Frankly, I don't know why Dave Filoni needed to be in on this episode. My, my guess is the main reason is because we did get the flashback to Order 66 with the clone troopers, and I mean, the Clone Wars is kind of his thing but yeah i was the same boat as you the first I, I watched it twice the first time i saw it i was i liked it but i was very disappointed i thought we were getting some big reveal and we didn't get any of that second time i like i liked it a lot more i actually think it was a really good episode i just my my expectation level was set a little bit too high for this one and it, and it started right off the bat just seeing the before even starting the episode scene it was like 33 minutes or something it was just kind of a yeah let down to start from the beginning it's not even 33 minutes. It's under 30 minutes. It's like maybe 27 minutes Jeez, if yeah. you don't include the credits. I think that's the shortest episode of Mando ever. Yeah, yeah. Very, very strange. Yeah, I don't know what they were doing with this one. Maybe they wanted to have a, a slowdown episode, maybe explain some things from the past. But now, And that is one thing I think the episode did well. Is Now, it wasn't a slow episode. It was pretty, it, it moved pretty quick. I didn't feel any dead spots or anything. And they did, yeah. they did kind of fill in, we got some answers to some questions, which I, along, which we'll talk as we go through the, the recap, which was nice. But yeah, it didn't really, it didn't progress the story along much. We actually kind of end up in the exact same spot we finished last week's episode. Almost the exact yeah, same scene. That's my that's my frustration is yeah. okay. So when we start the episode, you see all the Mandalorians with their helmets on, training and fighting, and it registers to me that this is going to be a all helmet no face episode, and my heart. Was like, oh, please let it let there be some surprises. You got one little thing towards uh, when she's sitting around the fire, and then the, she eats, yeah, eats her thing, and then of course the flashback. But the one thing I was surprised by that first scene is there's a lot more Mandalorians here than I thought there were because I thought mm -hmm. e even the first episode when they had attacked the first when they had got attacked by the first crazy animal, there weren't near that many in this scene in that scene as there were in this scene. Like I was thinking there was maybe twenty or thirty of them. It's more like. Somewhere between 50 and 100 is what it actually looked like. So are they recruiting new people? How are they? How are their numbers growing? That's a good question. Well, I don't Maybe we just didn't see them all in the first episode. They could be recruiting people. So so we talked about, we see the training episode. We kind of get a cutaway to Grogu. He's sitting alone on the beach. He, you, I think this scene is supposed to kind of symbolize that he doesn't really feel like he's part of the group yet. Because everybody's training together, even the, even the kids. Um, and he's not. He's sitting alone with a little... Little rocks. First, they kind of make you think the uh, he might be moving them around with the force, but then they show they're just little like rock crab things that that he uh, that he's playing with. One thing I did didn't love about this scene. This was the first time this season that I really noticed some wonky special effects when he went to go pick up the little crab animal. Oh. It 
for some reason, my eye went straight to his hand and the little crab thing. And it just it looked weird. That was, I mean, it was pretty minor, but that's really the first like visual effect thing I saw of the whole season that kind of was like, eh, I don't know about that one. Well, the thing that I noticed about this scene in terms visually is that uh, they, they, I think they shot this in a real location. There's no way this is in the volume. And I can tell the difference. Yeah, no, I, I agree with there. There are some scenes throughout the episode that look too, too good to be the volume, unless they've just gotten really good with the volume. But yeah, I think you're right. So once we get done with the little crab scene, Din comes over to Grogu and basically picks him up and tells him, nope, you, you need to go train with the other foundlings. You're part of this group. Stop, stop playing by yourself. So the first kid that he, he submits him into a, like a challenge and the first challenger is the kid we see from season one or season three, episode one, the kid that's in the water getting baptized. That's the one that he's challenged against. And that kid decides to challenge him in a game of Mandalorian paintball. So we, we go through that whole scene. He get the, the, the Mandalorian kid gets his two shots on and then Din needs to kind of give him a pep talk that basically just to, it almost seems like Grogu's tentative to use any of his force abilities, and Din has to kind of edge him on and say, "No, you're here. You're safe. You're with a. You're with your family. Do don't be afraid to show him what you got." And so Grogu takes that and he immediately beats him pretty pretty quickly. He does his little force frog jump and jumps over him, jumps back, and gets his three shots in. I want to mention before we continue is they show Bo-Katan walking around observing the people training, and you can't see her face, but she's, you can tell she's either enticed or like just curious about what's going on. I, she's not participating with the, the training, but she's looking around and I, she's wondering about her position in the group. Yep, I think she's sizing them up to see, is this, if I had to guess what she's thinking, is this somebody I can, because we've already gotten kind of from episode Two, that her faith has started to be restored. Is this somebody that mm-hmm. this is a group of people that I can go reunite Mandalore with, or whatever, whatever her plan is? Is this is this the right group of people that? So she's sizing them up for that. It's, I I took away yeah, the same thing. That's that. I think if there was one takeaway from this episode, is the theme or the idea of of Bo-Katan being fully immersed in in whatever the Mandalorian creed is, this version of Mandalorian. Yep. So we get done with Grogu and his challenge, and then immediately this giant pterodactyl creature swoops down, and at first I didn't think he got him, but he picks up the the other Mandalorian kid, and the first the first like I'm I'm like whatever, but the first thing that goes through my mind is why did they pick this planet? Like you're... that's what I was thinking as well. I have a note here. Why do they live on this crazy ass planet? You got giant, <laughs> you got giant alligator turtle gators. Turtle gators. You've got this giant pterodactyl now. That's now that we've learned later as babies. I mean, why? Why are we on this planet? I, mean, I was going to ask you if there was a reason they're on this planet. I have no. It doesn't make. It makes no. Like to me, I, I thought about this. If it's during the Empire's time, now the Empire's fallen at this point. This is six or seven years after Return of the Jedi, which we we learned all about. The Empire's gone. We learned all about that in episode three. So to me, it makes a little sense then because you want to be on some backwater planet that they're not, they don't even care to look. They don't, they know these creatures are down there. We're not going to come look for you there. But it's been a couple of years. Time to go find somewhere nicer. They basically go from a sewer to this place. Like, mm-hmm. you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, we, there's no, it hasn't really been established why people are 
are people afraid of Mandalorians or are is there a reason why they need to be hiding? I don't know anymore. Like at this point, I'm not sure. It's almost I mean, you think about how quickly people forgot about the Jedi throughout the galaxy. I mean, it's really Mandalorians haven't been big since the Clone Wars, which I mean, it's been 20, 25 years at this point. Why are we? Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know why they're in such hiding like they are. But I mean, even yeah. the even when they do the scenes of this planet, like there's no green anywhere. It's just all, it's all desert scape. I'm like, why? Why are we doing this to yeah. ourselves? You guys can pick a little <laughs> better place. I mean, just think about like, you think about back to Book of Boba Fett where Luke's training his Jedi. is like, that's that's a pretty nice planet. It's secluded. There's no nothing around there. And But... Yeah, that's what, that was the thought that went through my mind. So, yeah. Doesn't sound like I'm the only one. No. So after he gets after the pterodactyl picks up the kid, Bo-Katan chases the flying creature in his in her uh, ship and basically tracks it back to their nest. She comes back. They start working on a plan to get the kid back. They start getting a team together, and the team that they end up with consists of Din, Bo, Paz Vizsla, and a few others that are going on the mission. But Grogu does stay behind, which is kind of the kind of the key to the next scene. So they go off on the mission, but we stay with Grogu and we kind of get this almost lesson scene between Grogu and the armor where the armor is kind of starting to teach him some Mandalorian ways. Like she talks about, she's doing this all in the backdrop of making some armor about, I think her main takeaway is that everybody is just, everybody is malleable or until they have their life experiences and that's kind of what shapes them and forges them. So she's kind of, she's teaching that to Grogu as she's going. But as we... As she's doing that, she starts the big forge that starts hammering, hammering the whatever piece of armor she's working on. And Grogu starts having a flashback because I think the reason this is something I didn't really pick up on the first time, but I did the second time. As she's talking about like the experiences that forge you, that's when the flashback comes in about Grogu's kind of past and how he got Mm -hmm. to where he is. So I thought the second time I, I kind of appreciated I appreciated the flow of the episode a lot more the second time than I I think the first time I was just waiting for that big reveal the whole time. So by doing that, I was missing other things that were going on. Well, I I was that transition into the flashback didn't make sense to me either. Um, I I you know I thought that this wedged it in there, but what you're saying now makes more sense. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of people are probably gonna miss that. Yeah, I, this was a very. To me, this was a nuanced episode. Like, I mean, it kind of you kind of have to be if you're not moving the plot forward. Which actually, I think is kind of a, it was Carl Weathers who who directed. I actually think he did a good job directing it. I think it it felt again. This was one of those episodes. Second time is definitely better than the first time. But we get into the the flashback and we see the same kind of scene that we saw previously in Mandalorian, where Grogu's getting saved like by the from the Jedi Temple. But we start going more into it. And the first name we hear is get him to Kelleran, which at first when I did when I heard that name, I, I didn't know who it was. Um, but then we get through the scene and we get the reveal that it is Ahmed Best's Jedi character. Now, I, I didn't know the name because I didn't watch the show, but I did remember that he did a like a YouTube Star Wars kid show. I think it was called like Star Wars Jedi Temple. And he was the like the main Jedi for it. Oh, okay. um, that's that's how that was kind of the way they brought him back into Star Wars universe because I mean he was obviously he was Jar yeah. Jar he was hated by many people but over time like people have grown to want him back and and feel bad about the way they treated him when they were kids or the way they felt about him so 
they've slowly brought him back. So now he's officially canon. So he's he's canon as this character, Kelleran Beck, who was the, we find out, this, this was one of the answers that the episode finally serves, is who was the Jedi that got Grogu out of the temple? We didn't know if it was okay. going to be somebody we knew, like Quinlan Voss or Barriss Offee or one of the characters from the Clone Wars shows. But we get this, I don't know, I think it's it was just kind of a cool redemption arc for Ahmed Best for going through all the crap he went through as Jar Jar. And now he's actually gets to be a pretty cool Jedi in canon. Yeah, so well, do we see what happens to him at the end? Does he survive? He survives. He's the one who actually, so we go through the, he, he gets Grogu. They go through like a big chase scene on a, on a speeder with Grogu and him. They get to a landing platform where a ship is waiting for him, and this was one of the one of the Easter eggs. There were two big Easter eggs I saw during the chase. The first one was they go through this the same plaza where the peak of Umate was, the the mountain that was in the last episode. Mm-hmm. So they oh, okay. they show that for a second, and then when they get to the the landing platform with the ship, it's the exact same model ship that they used in Phantom Menace that the Naboo. Um, like the, it was a Padme ship from from Episode One. Those mm-hmm. are kind of some of the two Easter eggs. And there's a crew that's waiting for him, but they're getting pursued by the the clones. So Kelleran takes Grogu onto the ship, and they both escape. And once they escape, that's when we get back to real time. So that, that was kind of the extent of the flashback. So it was a I, I don't know it was a good flashback to me. I thought it, it it was it was fun visually. It was fun to see Coruscant, and it was fun getting the answer of who saved who saved Grogu. Yeah, I, I, if in a normal episode where we we split away, we have a flashback and it's fun and exciting. To me, this episode is better to really like nerdy junkies like me, where you're. It's it's almost an Easter egg episode and a answer questions episode, but and then it also goes to what we talked about at the very beginning. It really doesn't drive the plot forward a whole lot besides the Bo Katan stuff. Yeah, when we get to the end, uh, there's a couple of news matters i want to talk about and this reminded me that we need to talk about the viewership for the show okay yeah i haven't even i haven't looked at any of those articles yet so i'd be interested to hear that so after we get done with the flashback we go back we go to the rescue party that's trying to say we learn his name is ragnar and we also get revealed that 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 ragnar is the son of paz Vizsla, who's the really big the big uh, mandalorian who's kind of at the side of the armor most side basically like the number two of the uh, of the of their covert. Now I do have a side question. Once we learned that this was Paz Vizlik's kid, do Mandalorians take their helmets off when it's baby making time? Wait, what? Wait, wait. Oh, you got to Oh, come on. You weren't even paying attention to me. Get off your phone. No, I was, I was Corey. Corey texted me and was telling me about the, the audio levels. Corey, stop so, texting uh. Chad. My question is once we learn that this is Paz Vizla's kid, do Mandalorians take off their helmets for baby making time or do they leave them on? They leave them on. You think so? It's going to be weird. Yeah, I don't know. That's a. <laughs> They're going to be wearing a helmet and then be naked otherwise. Yeah. Oh, I guess you're not allowed to. You only can take it off when you're eating, and you're by yourself. Well, that is another. That is another interesting thing we got out of this episode, which we. I wasn't sure about, like, I wasn't sure, because most of the time we see Din eating, he he's, like, just tipping his helmet back, and he's eating, like, a, he still has his helmet on, he just tips it back, but I guess it is an okay, it's okay to eat with your helmet off, you just can't have anybody around, so that was kind of a, a little mini question that got answered in this episode. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm a little on on the fence about the whole never take your helmet off in any circumstance. So <laughs> I don't know. I think that's uh, I think that's all going to change here in this season and next season. Or it could I mean it it could just stay like Bo could totally convert and say okay this is the way we're doing things now. But I don't know. I you got. You've got a pretty big name actor underneath that helmet. There, we're going to get to a point where he's shown his face a lot more. Well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope that's the case, honestly. Yeah, we'll see. Do they have a plan for how long this show's going to go? Uh, so we talked about that a little bit. We They don't have a set number of seasons, but John Favreau did say this season is just about getting to the halfway point of the story oh, he wants yeah. to tell. So we've had to guess yeah, five, so five, six seasons. Five, five. I think five would be best. Yeah. Maybe they can get Pedro with his helmet off for a whole season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So once we kind of have our eating scene, our, our resting scene, we do get into the, the whole action scene of climbing and then getting to the pterodactyl. They eventually are able to save Ragnar. It's a pretty cool action scene. Another question that comes up through this whole thing, though, is how did that boy survive when he's in the gut of that pterodactyl? <laughs> you know, I I that's the type of thing where I... Didn't care. Yeah. When I was surprised by it, and I was this is like the one moment where I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. So that's all I cared about. Yeah. It just got it got a reaction from me. But yeah. <laughs> so we do find out that there's three little babies in there. That's the reason the mom mom bur- burps back up Ragnar and tries to feed him to the babies. But then they go through this whole like scene of them chasing down the pterodactyl and taking it down. Pretty cool. They had a bunch of jetpacks and that stuff, and it was a good action scene. But then we get kind of to the outcome of this is now Paz Vizsla, who was kind of on the fence about Din, is now, I think he's totally on the side of Din and Bo. He's in in their debt for saving their kids. So while we mm-hmm. didn't we didn't advance the plot very much, we do have this, part of it is Din and Bo are building the allies through this group of where we, oh. need, where, where we need to get forward. So that was, yeah, that was part, that was part of the reason of this episode too. Yeah, that's a good point. I, if we're gonna go have some sort of battle or adventure with the entire group, they need to show Dan and Grogu and BK becoming and earning that their place in the in the tribe. Yep. So that could make sense. Yep. And basically, saving the number two's kid is a pretty good way to do that pretty quickly. Well, and the other thing I'm wondering is. <laughs> So the, when you say number two, it's Paz Vizsla. Right. Is number one the armorer? Yeah, that's that's the way it's kind of set up, at least. That's the way I feel like it's set up. That's what I was thinking as well. But I have a question mm-hmm. that entered my mind. Is BK going to threaten the armorer for her position? Is this going... Is there going to... Right now, they seem pretty chummy. Or, you know, there's an exchange of information and they're talking. But if Bo-Katan is going to lead this group, that means he's going to supplant the armor. So my my thought of what, my guess of what Bo-Katan is thinking at this point is she knows, she's the only one that knows that Mythosaur is there. She is somehow going to be the person that rides it, tames it. And at that point, it's not even a question anymore. Even the armor says, nope, you're in charge. If I had to guess, that's what's going through her mind of how this is all going to play out. But we'll we'll see when we get there. 
Yeah, I want to see some fighting. Keep me keep me entertained. Yeah. She shouldn't step down so so quickly. But so I'm might skipping ahead a little bit. But we have a scene where BK talks to the armor and asks her if she's doing it in a roundabout way, but she basically admits to the armor that she saw the mythosaur and she's asking the armor if they're real and if anyone else has seen them essentially. Right. And the armor kind of plays it off. Like the armor doesn't really believe she really saw it. She thinks she just saw it in a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the, the route the armor is taking. So I think Bo kind of, she's willing at the beginning of the conversation, she's willing to give up this information that she saw it. But once she sees where the conversation's going, she's kind of, I think she kind of changes changes directions midstream and says, no, this is, I'm just going to let her think this is, yeah, this is a vision, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the way I took that conversation. But I was surprised she shared that with her. I didn't think she would do that. Yeah, I thought she was going to withhold that as well. So and I think that's what triggered my mind to think about their their relationship and whether or not they're going to start to have conflict. So I, I also think that Bo is seeing... Kind of what they're trying to show the the audience is that the armor might not be the like sh- sh- yeah they have all these crazy rules they have to follow but she's very accepting like I mean she accepts Grogu like there's she's just a man- normal Mandalorian kid doesn't like think anything different about him she immediately accepts Bo because she's bathed in in the waters and she hasn't taken her helmet off she's very accepting of bringing. Mandalorians into her covert. So I think Bo sees that and I guess appreciates it, appreciates that she's being accepted so easy without, because mm-hmm. every group she's been in has been kind of a, like a militant group or a, some kind of faction where it's been more fight, fight chaos where while, yeah, they're training and everything, but it's not really like that here. They're more for like, I think that's kind of why they, they, they do a very big emphasis on this is the way throughout this episode that they're this is it's kind of like their creed. This is this is the way we do things here. So before we forget, one thing I there might have been a couple of points that I think we missed in the recap, and one is that you mentioned it kind of in passing, but Grogu is given a tiny piece of armor. Oh, yeah, from yeah. the armor. Uh, do you remember the what the insignia is on that? It was a it was a mud horn again. It was the same same insignia that Din gets in season one on his pauldron. Okay, and then at this point, and this is my fault, but we skipped, we kind of skipped ahead. Uh, she had already has one crest on one of her shoulders, and on the which is the night owl, which you can go into that if you want to. But she gets another crest, another emblem on her other shoulder, which is the mitsasaur. And yeah, the, um, the night owl is just kind of like if you think about like she was she was part of Clan Crees, which would say like I don't know a big group say you were in the army. But if you were in a certain like infantry division, then your night night owl would have been like the smaller group within the bigger bigger group. So that's she was part of night owl, which was like just a smaller subset of clan crees when she was when she was younger. Gotcha. And I guess we should say that they kill the mama pterodactyl, oh, yeah. but they bring the baby pterodactyls back to the cohort and they are now 
Mandalorians? I don't know. If I, they're, or they're able to... They're foundlings? Uh, the literal foundlings? I don't know if they are. I think they'll I think they'll train them to ride them eventually. Since okay. And I wouldn't be surprised if they... Because Grogu... I mean, he is a Jedi, and they've shown, like, Jedi... Or he, he's not a Jedi, but he can use the Force. And they've shown in past things that people with the Force can control animals. Maybe he'll do that to kind of help tame these guys so they can so they're rideable for the for the Mandalorians. That'll be one one of the ways that man or that Grogu can show his worth for to the uh, to the covert. Okay. Well I, I think that's the episode. We covered everything. Is there anything we missed, Zach? No, it was a short episode I mean like we said it was a short episode. Again, a lot of stuff I missed on the first time. It's worth a second viewing. It's a little bit of a nerdy episode. Again, it ends in the exact same spot that episode three ended where where Bo is looking at the the mythosaur and deciding what the heck is she going to do with this. So, but it was still a fun episode. Okay, okay, yeah. And so what I was mentioning earlier is there is this talk around the town about franchises, whether or not the franchise model and generating new pieces of content from a single source IP is a model that is paying off these days. So, <clears throat> specifically to with regard to The Mandalorian, I didn't see the numbers myself, and I didn't see the article, but Matt Bellany, who just is a person I'm just kind of citing, has done some, some research, and essentially, the viewership for The Mandalorian Season 3 is, is down. Uh, there's not... Nielsen hasn't put out the numbers yet, but there are some other surveyors who have have gotten some numbers and the numbers are definitely down compared to seasons one and two uh, and social media engagement is way down. So that kind of corroborates the fact that people aren't really watching this show this year. It, it kind of makes sense to me just because I saw some advertisements for it, some marketing for it, um, but I didn't see a whole lot. So I'm not sure if the general public is ready for it. And also that, that gap year where we did Boba, Boba Fett, I think really hurt. Yep. And I now that the show is becoming heavily serialized, there needs to be a lot more like to, to hold the average viewer. There needs to be a lot more oh shit moments yeah. instead of nuanced moments. Right. Like I think we appreciate it because we're keeping track of what's going on and we're into the lore and to the to the story. But I don't. I think we might be shedding some viewers, and I don't think they can afford episodes like this one. To, to hold on to their casuals. Yeah, and I mean, really the only, like, oh crap moment of this whole episode was the reveal of Ahmed Best's character. But some people, like, that are watching, like, I'm gonna, when I watch this with my wife, I'm going to have to tell her that's the actor that played Jar Jar. She's not going to know it. I, I looked at him, and I, and I thought to myself, oh, there's something about this that seems familiar, but I didn't know right away. And I know what Ahmed Best looks like. This is... You have to, you have to really be, this is an Easter egg episode. You got to be looking for things. You got to like, listen to every line of dialogue. It's, which I, I mean, you're probably right at this point. They probably don't need to be doing a lot of episodes like this. And I think last episode was, was very similar. I, I think it set up things for the plot moving mm -hmm. forward. There was a lot of just kind of Easter egg, nerdy, nerdy course on stuff in that. So, yeah. 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 
so the numbers for, for Andor were really were not that great. There's a lot of critical, you know, praise towards it, and I think people might be coming to it afterwards. I, and which is Bubba crazy, was to, bad. Which is crazy to me for Andor because Andor was just so good. It was such a good show. Yeah, I don't know how you market <clears throat> a spy espionage thriller to the general public. That's a that's set in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, but I don't. They must not have known what they had. Yeah. You also think about back like to normal like sh- drama shows like Breaking Bad had its big I like to me most people watch Breaking Bad afterwards. Some mm-hmm. some people watch Well, Netflix. Yeah, exactly, Netflix. I mean, you could even go with The Office. Like people binge the crap out of The Office. That's not really a drama, but The Wire was the same way. Like people didn't really watch mm-hmm. The Wire when it first came out, and then it became one of the most talked about shows ever. So I feel like Andor could do something like that, but it's also yeah, pe- I can see it. There's going to be people that like those type of shows that won't watch Andor because it's Star Wars. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bummer um, that it's a bummer that the the viewership is down. I do. I totally agree with you. I think that one year break totally hurt, and it may not have hurt so much as if they just called Book of Boba Fett Mandalorian and. Inter- intertwine like maybe do it eight episodes and intertwine the boba story and cut out the crap you don't need because i mean the last what three episodes were all mandalorian based anyways i agree with you i think they should have cut out a lot of the non-mandalorian stuff or at least reduced it like by half at least right and called it mandalorian season three yep that would have helped but i mean even if they did that it's you, you think about you think about superhero superhero fatigue too. Like the movies don't, I mean, except for the real big crossover movies, like they don't make as much money as they used to. Because of COVID, because of people just getting back to reality and doing things outside again. I don't, yeah, can't explain it. There's a glut of options out there for people to watch. But at this point, and... I would call, I, I would say there's, there's Star Wars fatigue too. Because you think since 2015, mm-hmm. you've had the three main movies. You had Rogue One, you had Han Solo, you've had, in our, into our third season of, of Mandalorian, you had Boba Fett, you had Obi-Wan, you had Andor. That's, I mean, I'm, since basically seven and a half years, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a lot of stuff, and it's diluting the product, so unfortunately, uh, I think following the Netflix method of Volume, 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 more, more, more. It's going to end up hurting us. I, I, I think there is still great potential for this season of The Mandalorian. I just think that this episode was kind of some necessary filler. I think this we can do this kind of nerdy episodes. One time's fine, two times is kind of pushing it. I don't think we can end with with Bo-Katan looking at a mythosaur for a third third week in a row. We need something. We need something to yeah. follow along <laughs> next week. Yeah, yeah, agreed. All right, y'all. Well, this is Chad and Zach. Thank you for listening to another episode of Zick and Wick. And until next time, may the force be with you. Bye.